Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee Podcast, kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and Fix This Next. This free online business assessment tool enables you to pinpoint your business's vital need. Keep listening for top business tips and advice to help you level up and scale up. Here's your host, Simon Meadows. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode in which I'm joined by John M. Jennings. Now, this is a, a style of guest I think we're going to take exceptional value from and see some different perspectives into some of the questions that we're going to have answered today. Because John is the president and chief strategist of, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right, John, St. Louis, is it Louis? 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 It's Louis. Yeah, St. Louis. St. Louis. St. Louis Trust and family office, a 15 billion wealth management firm. As an author and speaker, he is a leading voice in the space of wealth management and leadership. His book, The Uncertainty Solution, is an engaging dive into investing philosophy and best practices, as well as an authoritative, accessible guide for anyone who feels inundated and I certainly do many times, with financial news and data. A must-have addition to anyone's reading list, says Charles R. Swab. Jennings is also the author of highly acclaimed IFOD blog and is an adjunct professor at Washington University's Oling Business School and frequently writes on wealth management topics for Forbes. So we're in good company, listeners. Uh, he has a finance uh, and law degrees from the University of Missouri and a professional certificate in decision-making and behavioural finance from Harvard. Welcome to today's podcast, John. And I, I apologise if I pronounce some of the names and some of the other things yeah. incorrectly. I'm, I'm, unfortunately, it's uh, a British you, accent. You yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, there's a little, you know, a little different uh, dialect uh, across the pond here, you know, back yeah. and forth, right? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So great to have you on today's uh, podcast. Uh, you know, wealth management uh, and the insights into finance. Mm. Yeah, and we've had such a, a state of flux recently with finance mm. markets. You yeah. Know, back in 2008, 2009, when I became a coach because of, of the changes in finance markets, as well as all the different things in between. So before we do that, let's talk about the coffee that we're, we're drinking. Yeah. Tell let's us a little about bit about the coffee and the mug that you're yeah. drinking this from. Yeah. And, and, then, and then if you don't mind after that, I, I, can I give you two coffee stories? One Absolutely. Of which is Please. Yeah. yeah. With pleasure. Okay. Yeah, so I'm I'm at work right now. So this is just one of our work coffee mugs, but it's our you know old logo. Oh, okay. <laughs> and we, it, uh, we I'm drinking uh, Starbucks Cafe Verona, so it's a nice cold oh, dark blend. Like uh, I drink my coffee black. Yeah, yeah, and I, I treasure coffee. I think it's you know uh, one of the great things about being human is the ability to drink coffee. <laughs> and and I, I became a coffee drinker in the summer after sixth grade. So I guess that would have made me like 12 years old. Right. And I, I, I spent a week with my maternal grandparents who were yeah. big coffee drinkers. And they took to, me to dinner like on the first night at a cafeteria where they ordered coffee. And I yeah. said, I would like to have coffee too. And they said, John Michael, Michael's my middle name. That's what they, right. you know, I was called as a child. John Michael, you're not going to like it. It's only for adults. 
And I said, oh no, Ooh. try me. I bet it's fantastic. Damn. So I got a cup of coffee at this cafeteria and I took my first sip and I thought it tasted like acid. Like to a 12 year old palate, I was like, this is horrible. Yeah. But I had talked so big that I would like coffee. I drank the entire cup. Yeah. I, and I had like this, 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 uh, you know, expression on my face, like, mm, isn't this good? Well, my, my grandparents knew that I was, you know, kidding and like, yeah. obviously didn't like it. So I get up the next morning for breakfast. And with my bacon and eggs, they give me a cup of coffee. And they said, John Michael, you wow. liked this so much last night. Here's some more. Obviously, just to torture me. Yeah. In a battle of wills, I was like, I'm taking it down. So for there. Yeah. Then we went to the cafeteria again. More coffee. The next morning, more coffee. It was like, you know, it was like this um, this game of chicken that I was mm. playing with my grandparents. But after the eight or nine days that I was there and I went back home, I had become um, used to the taste <laughs> and addicted to the caffeine. And my yeah. parents like called my grandparents were like, oh, my gosh, like you've turned our 12 year old into a, like a, a coffee addict. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's how I became a coffee drinker. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's amazing, isn't it? That, you know, age obviously has an effect on our palate, mm. but yeah. also the frequency at which we drink. And I know I'll share a similar story, but not at, not at 12, but um, I worked for an American company called Johnson Controls. We built one of their mm, uh, yeah. facilities over that. here in the UK. Mm. And we went out for a drink after a particular meeting one day. And I always drank lager. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and we went into the local uh, pub and it was a, a one of these where you have the bowels and they pour it out of tap and it was all yeah. English bitter. It was 400 mm. yards from the brewery, big mm, brewery, nice. Marston's Brewery. So I said, you know, they said, what would you like to drink? And I said, I'll have a lager, please. And they said, would you like that in a lady's glass? And I was like, no. <laughs> well, so what would you like to drink? Well, as I said, a lager, please. So the, the barman said again, would you like that in a lady's glass? And I, was, I wasn't catching on. We'd had a long day, a long meeting. Yeah. Uh, but to cut the story short, I had a pint of bitter. Yeah. And like you, I sat there drinking this bitter, thinking this is the most awful thing mm -hmm. that I've ever drunk. But I was 12 months on that site. And after about five mm -hmm. or six visits to the pub, yeah. I only ever drank bitter. And I've, I rarely go back to lager since because yeah. your, your taste changes because it's forced to so i, I love that story of the grandparents and i, well, I should imagine it, your parents said you broke our child you've made him into a you have addict. you've made yeah. him a coffee addict and, and it, it, it's interesting i had this discussion with coworkers not long ago where i mentioned something being an acquired taste mm. and they were like well does that mean it's better like if you have to acquire it like why yeah. should you try to get to like something, you know, and you think about like, I, I like to drink whiskey, you know, that's definitely acquired taste. And yeah. Some, some, you know, some different alcohols, there's some different foods. So yeah. Does it, does it mean it's better yeah. that you're like on some higher level because you've acquired this taste and it, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned whiskey. I was um, doing a video earlier on today about getting different and being a purple cow as Seth Godin talks about in his book. Yeah, yeah. And I've got a bottle on the shelf behind me. You can probably just, yeah, just, just over that shoulder there, yeah. an empty bottle of um, a Tennessee whiskey called Daddy Rack or Daddy yeah. Racks. I don't know if you ever tried it. 
If you can mm -hmm. find it, it's great. The label on the bottle is exceptional. It's all about being different, uh, but it's a beautiful tasting uh, Tennessee straight whiskey as well. So really yeah. good. Um, okay, um, if, if I can jump into my second coffee. Mm, please, so, yeah. What, what I drink every morning is, um, you know, the, the beans vary right now. It's Pete's Big Bang whole bean, but it's in a machine yep. that is $1,100. So it grinds, it brews, it, 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 it does espresso, but it does, you know, I do like this kind of sort of espresso. It's more like an Americano that it does, but it's this amazing machine. And the reason I have this, and I've, I, you know, I usually never spend like $1,100 on a coffee yep. machine, but we have this thing at our firm. So we're, we're about to turn 21 years old. And what we started to do, yeah, thank you. It's, it's pretty great. We'll be of legal drinking age here in the US. Yes. <laughs> um, so what we started years ago is on um, employee anniversary months, we would give them the ability to get a gift. So at five years, of being an employee, you, you get five something worth five hundred dollars, and then at ten years, it's um, um, seven fifty. And no, fifteen years is seven fifty. You know, um, ten years it's a it's a thousand dollars. That's how it works. So um, I was one of the the founding employees, one of the founding okay. principals. So when we turned twenty last summer, I have this ability to get something worth a thousand dollars, and it, you can't just ask for a gift card, and you can't just get a thousand dollars. So our thinking is, is we want to celebrate you being here on this, you know, momentous uh, anniversary and <laughs> you have to pick something that you want that usually we say it's a luxury, maybe something you wouldn't buy for yourself. And it's been great because, you know, at our 15 <laughs> year, um, you know, I bought like uh, some scuba equipment, you know, and things like that. But like yeah. every time I drink coffee and it makes just some of the best coffee I've ever had from this overly priced machine. It's so good, but though I, mean, I shouldn't say it's over overpriced. It's just more than I'd spend. Like I think about my company, you know, and even though I'm president yeah, yeah. You know, of the company, I mean, it gives me warm feelings about my, my company. And it's, it's really been this great program. And I mainly bring that up for listeners, you know, um, in, in case there's something similar that, you know, they'd like to do in their businesses. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think, giving people something that they can have as a trigger to a memory in a business or a connection mm -hmm. with the business or their position is so much better than giving them the cash or the voucher that they don't have that same connection with. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a great idea. And you know, I've, I've got a not quite as expensive as that because mine doesn't do beam, mine's just a pod machine, but it still costs me probably about $500 mm -hmm. uh, equivalent, about 400 pounds. But that machine, particularly since the beginning of the pandemic, has worked like a Trojan. It, uh, it has, yeah, yeah. It has, it has yeah. just kept going and going and going and going and going. It, it has been incredible. Uh, so it was well worth the money as well. So like you say, I, I normally wouldn't pay that kind of money, but it's it's earned yeah. its money, definitely. So yeah, two, so two great stories. Um, tell me a little bit about the move and the passion that you have for what you do then and and wealth management what's the sort of backstory of how you got into this yeah. and the creation of the business 21 years ago that's amazing yeah, yeah it, it's it's pretty cool um so i started my career practicing law i did estate planning and tax law mainly um, a little bit of corporate a little bit of traffic law here and there yeah. fixing traffic tickets <laughs> yeah yeah all, all uh, there's a really big law firm. And, and then I was at Arthur Anderson, 
which was a global big five accounting and consulting firm, right? And I have to explain that to people what it is mm. now. It's been, you know, uh, again, like 21 years since it, it went under. Um, but as you may recall, in, in 2001, they were indicted by the Justice Department in the U.S., the, the firm was, for obstruction of justice related to their client Enron, you know, which was an energy yeah, trading yeah, I remember firm. That, yeah. And yeah, there was some some uh, fraud alleged at Enron and some partners, you know, the client team in Houston shredded a lot of documents they had, some confidential documents from Enron. So, you know, people didn't want to continue to work with an accounting firm to be their auditors. I mean, which is doing assurance, right? Yeah, yeah. With, with somebody that had been, you know, indicted for obstruction of justice. So the firm went under in a very quick fashion. And I always, you know, use that as a lesson when I think about investing that, you know, here was, you know, this, this amazing firm with 88,000 employees worldwide, very profitable, sterling reputation and name. And, you know, in, in less than a year, it, it went from being great to being gone. Yeah. And it was really out of the ashes of Arthur Anderson that our, our company was, was founded. And like so many things in life, in, in fact, I have this blog post, you mentioned IFOD, that stands for interesting fact of the day. And so okay. I have this, this, this blog post. I, I Thank write. you for that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and, and it's kind of interesting. It's, it's not necessarily, you know, the interesting fact of the day, because I only write it about twice a week. It really should be called things that John Jennings thinks are interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound quite as good a title. <laughs> yeah, though, it? No. yeah, yeah. It's, it's various things. But, but I wrote on um, this, this fascinating study uh, earlier this year about how it, it, they had uh, participants think back about, you know, really positive events in their life that had happened, you know, way back at least uh, two or more years ago and, yeah. you know, how they felt at the time and then really negative ones, like just horrible things, horrible things, getting yeah. d divorced, getting fired from a job, what, what have you. And then they said, you know, how do you, how do you feel about those now? And what they found is, you know, the, the positive events felt less positive and the negative events felt a lot less negative. Sure. But then they asked how meaningful are these events to you? And, with with almost no exception, the the most meaningful events were the negative events, and almost the more negative, the more meaningful it it, it was. Yeah. And so, I at the time Anderson was going under, I'm like, here, you know, I have this great job at this great company, and it's going under, and we got to figure out something to do with our clients and you know some of our people and everything. It was just horrendous, but you know, I learned so much through that that experience mm -hmm. that's really shaped helped shape the DNA of our of our uh, my firm now. And it selfishly, you know, was one of the better things, if not the best thing that happened in my career yeah. viewed through the lens of time. I mean, yeah. you know, hor horrible <laughs> situation all, all around. And I feel bad for people that had, you know, their, their deferred comp wiped out and, you know, whose careers sure. didn't do as well afterwards. I, I feel bad for them. But yeah, it was this, this really uh, amazing experience. Yeah. I, but I think many of us, uh, and I'm sure the listeners will agree, will pinpoint significant changes and usually like you say through the lens of time mm -hmm. great changes to our lives through actually what felt at the time like a catastrophe yeah, yeah. and I, I always had a, a plan john to semi-retire when i turned 50 and become a coach or consultant that mm -hmm. was always my plan and i set that plan when i was 23 years old and everybody said oh, wow man. that's so so far ahead and i said that's what i want to do and the banking crisis came in 2008. Construction was, here in the UK, was one of the first industries to take a, a nosedive straight away. Uh, and my coach that I had at the time said, you've got to quit. 
you know, if you don't quit now, you're not going to be able to sell your business. You know, mm -hmm. if you quit now, you'll be able to get something for your business, quit while you're ahead. And I did, and I achieved what I want to achieve when I was 50 instead when I was 42. So it gave, yeah. me, an, it gave me an eight year head yeah. start on where I am. Yeah, yeah. And I've never looked back. And people said to me just two years later, you look 10 years younger. Can't believe how different you are. And you don't realize mm -hmm. the impact that construction business and the other businesses I had was having on my health, my demeanor, everything. Uh, and particularly in those difficult times. So yeah, I'm completely with you uh, on that. Through the lens of time. That's a, that's a great phrase I like. Yeah. Yeah, through the lens of time. So we built this firm. Um, we mainly work with you know families with fifty million dollars or more. I mean, we, we're mainly in the fifty to five hundred million dollar range. Some have over five hundred, some have less than fifty. But we work with um, sixty four client families. We have sixty two employees. So part of our you know kind of secret sauce is this one to one employee to client ratio and being just very focused um and, and we're very custom you know you can think of you know all businesses have to have trade-offs between customization and scalability yeah. we've decided to be incredibly custom um but it means that we you know our, our growth is is limited even if we you know and we do it from time to time just have you know qualified prospective families just out the door you know yeah. we, we tend to take on you know three to you know six client families a year so we've had nice growth i mean we've grown from we, we started you know out of Anderson, we, we had clients that we took with us that we started with about 500 million. We're about 15 billion now. Um, so it's been nice growth, but it's, you know, low double digit, you know, um, yeah. compound annual, annual growth. So, you know, we're not a growth company, but, um, you know, and we've done that by, you know, I think everybody's in the marketing department, right? <laughs> so we don't actually even have any, anybody that's purely dedicated to marketing. It, it all is, you know, if you focus on, if you focus on the clients, and you incentivize people only to be good at client service yeah, yeah. and you know, be good teammates, you know, the profits take care of themselves. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think growth in revenue, uh, a lot of people chase that, but sometimes mm -hmm. they sacrifice the, the profit and the balance of what they can do with those profits and how they can enjoy those profits by chasing growth, particularly in revenue or in client numbers. You know, I've seen a few clients do that, and, and it is it is a choice. And there's no right or wrong choice, but it is a choice, and it's having yeah. the ability and the freedom to make that choice that I think is uh, yeah. credit to you, so well done. Yeah. So it sounds like the the, the books and the, the writing is something that obviously has evolved from this. Is that something that's fairly recent uh have you got anything mm -hmm. that's in the pipeline tell us a little bit about that and how significant that's been for you personally and for the business yeah so i you know i've, I've written a lot for a long time for you know our firm's website i you know over the years published here and there in different professional you know journals but um really i i started writing in earnest when i launched my blog in 2017 um on groundhog's day which is february 2nd 2017 okay. so and since then, I've written, I, I don't know, nearly a thousand blogs. I just blog posts. I wow. just uh, a few weeks ago hit a, a million uh, lifetime page views, which on one hand is a lot. But on the other hand, you know, yeah. a viral TikTok video will do like, you know, 30 million. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> well, like, yeah. so, you know. But that's uh, a rarity, you know, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah different crowds. So I, I started writing there and, and, you know, I had this idea that I, I wanted to, to write at least a book or books. And so I, th I thought about like, how, how do I go from here in 2017 to there, which turns out to be, you know, let's 
just published. So how do I go from here to there? And, you know, some interim things I did is, you know, um, I started writing for Forbes. And to do that, I hired a firm that, um, you know, were my editors and were able to get me in as a, you know, contributor to, to Forbes. And really what I told them is, you know, I want you to teach me how to write well. And, you know, I don't have any ego tied up in being a writer. I mean, I was trained in finance and as a lawyer. So, you know, help me out. And I want you to be brutal. And they would just tear apart everything I wrote, but they'd explain why, you know, to have these calls with them. It's actually quite expensive for a while. And then they had me write, uh, read, and I found books of my own. I read books and books and books on writing and mm-hmm. also on writing books. And, you know, I kind of got to the point then I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to write, you know, my book. And then I hired a book coach who was yeah. amazing. So, you know, you got to understand the, the structure and the flow and the outlining. Um, and I'm a big reader, so I, I kind of appreciated what books – that I really liked versus ones that were okay versus ones I didn't. So my, my book is mostly stories and examples. Correct. And I don't think people want to be, you know, lectured to. And if you're going to, if you're going to give somebody, you, you know, if you want to teach somebody about something, it's best to do it through in a story or an example. So that's mostly, you know, what, what it is. And so I had some, some good editors. Um, so yeah, I really enjoy writing and I write almost every day now and as my career progresses i I tend to move more and more towards writing and speaking which um are both things i love i I, you know i started teaching i guess five or six years ago at washington university in st louis in the graduate business school Uh, i teach two classes there now and and again it was this public speaking and yeah yeah. uh, it was was one of the the many drivers of why, why i did that so yeah it's been it's been pretty uh pretty fun fulfilling extremely challenging and frustrating to um become an author <laughs> yeah yeah and, a writer yeah and the thing i like with both of those both for teaching and the writing it's about a legacy isn't it you know it's about mm-hmm. passing the baton of knowledge on and i agree with you you know when i listen to books i listen to a lot of audio books um, yeah, uh, because i can do it while i'm doing other things i can do it while i'm driving etc and then i buy the hard copy as many of the listeners know mm-hmm. and a book that has a story something that teaches me through parables you know, it's a very biblical, proven way of sharing a story and getting a message out that's easily understood. But most importantly, I think, and I'm sure the listeners will agree, it's something that you can remember to pass on. Because you yeah. being an author is great, but if somebody reads your book, learns a lesson in a way that they can pass it on to somebody else, it's exponential, isn't it? You know, compounding, you know, in finance mm-hmm. terms, the, the impact it can have, mm-hmm. hasn't it? Absolutely. And, and speaking of uh, storytelling, so one of my chapters in, in, in the book, I, I have one chapter on behavioral biases that are relevant to investing. And I hit on one that is never talked about. And this may be the most important behavioral bias and okay. no one talked about it. And, and I call it the storytelling bias. So as a species, we've evolved to pay attention to stories. So, you know, our survival advantage is is a species and why we dominate this planet more or less is, you know, um, because of our ability to work together socially and in, you know, groups and in tribes. And the way we are able to go, uh, you know, from a small tribe, just of a few people to bigger, you know, you have Dunbar's number that says that, you know, over 150 people, you know, you you can't know really more than 150 people. But if you think about it, you you have things like nations and and 
you know, you can have, you know, college football fans or, you know, uh, yeah. uh, UK football fans that, yeah. you know, you have tens of thousands or millions of people, right? So how does this happen? And it's, it's through the power of stories and, and, and shared stories and myths. And one of the examples, uh, one of the most fascinating studies I've come across is a study that was done by researchers about medical decision-making. And, and here's what they did. They, they took the volunteers in and they said, okay, you have a disease. Now it's fictitious and they knew, I mean, the volunteers knew that it was fictitious, right? Okay, good. <laughs> um, they, 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 this, wasn't, this wasn't them saying, we're, we're kidding you to tell you you have a disease you don't. Yeah, yeah. They're like, you're in a study, you know, we're, we're telling you that you have a disease. And it's this parasite that it le if left untreated will cause you to die within two years, 100%. Yep. Now there's these two drugs and they're hard to pronounce, you know, made up drugs, but we'll call them drug A and drug B. Um, and what they did is they presented drug A has a 50% effective rate. Drug B, they changed the effective rate. Sometimes it was 30%, sometimes it was 90%. Now, obviously, if drug A was 50%, drug B was 90%, everybody would just choose the 90% drug. Sure. And everybody would choose drug A when drug B was 30%. Are you with me? Yeah. But what they did is they told them stories of two patients. So they told them what the, the odds are. They said studies of thousands of people have showed this drug's 50% and this drug's you know 90 or you know 30%. But they told them the story of two patients. With drug A at the 50%, it was always a neutral story. Chris has taken the drug. Um, it is unclear yet whether it's going to cure him. He has good days and bad days. See. His prognosis is uncertain. For drug B, they told him a positive or negative story. The positive being Pat has taken the drug. She is completely healed. Um, the, hmm. the, the disease is gone. She's going to live her lifespan. The negative story was Pat took the drug. She's now blind. She can't walk. Her death is imminent. Okay. What they found was, is that when the positive Pat story was told, of course, you know, when it was 90% effective for, for drug B, yep. nearly 100% people pick that. But when it was 30%, which is less than the 50, most people, like 60%, still chose drug B, even though it was less effective because it had a positive story. And then okay. shockingly, shockingly, when drug B was less effective, when it was, or when it, I mean, when a negative story was told, when it was told this drug is 90% effective, less than 40% chose it if accompanied by a negative story. Yeah. And realize this story yeah. is of one person. And I think it's so important to remember this. Whenever you are told a story, you will you will set aside all facts, statistics, probability, <laughs> and we and we've evolved this way. We will say that is what we're going to key on, and what it should lead us to do as as people is if you want to persuade somebody of something, like if you are a surgeon, and you want somebody to have a surgery, all you have to do is tell them one story of one patient when it worked out, and they're likely to choose it, and then vice versa. Or if you're an investment advisor, or you're a a a coach. Yeah. You tell them a story, they're likely to follow it. But what we should do when we're making decisions, and this is what my book is about, having mental models to fall back on to make better decisions, especially in the face of uncertainty. What we really should do is to say, I'm being told a story. And that's great. And that's yeah. a data point. But what's the base rate? What is the base rate? Because yeah. stories have this incredibly outsized 
um, influence on on how we make decisions. Yeah, and, and you know, I think certainly as you were talking there, you know, I've, it made me feel the importance again of having a testimonial, having a review, isn't you know, and what difference yeah. that can make. Uh, but yes, having that 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 baseline, having that different perspective to make those decisions, yeah, um, definitely. And, you know, I've seen people sit there and go, "Wow." I've heard the story. I need to buy that, and yeah. that's it. And they've gone out and bought it, right. and then they've spent twenty five thousand dollars, and it's been the worst decision they've made. And then they've told a bad story over their one experience, when actually yeah. it, it it probably wasn't that bad an experience yeah. to other people. So yeah, completely yeah. that. Well, so, and I read this this other book written by one of the pioneers in in um, AI, and this book was written in nineteen ninety five. So think back to what AI was in nineteen ninety five. Yeah. But the book is all about stories because at the time in 1995, and I bet it's still an issue today, one of the issues with AI, um, and, and you, you may have heard of the Turing test, which is this idea, you know, Alan, Alan Turing created this you know, thought experiment. You know, could you ever have a computer or an AI that was so advanced that it could trick a human to think that they were interacting with a human instead of an AI? So that's passing the Turing, Turing yeah. test. So with this, this, this researcher we talked about 1995, Alan, uh, uh, Roger Schenk, was you know a problem with AI is to pass the Turing test, it would need to have all these stories ready to go that are relevant yeah. because the way humans interact, and I think you know it's fascinating. Once you know this, pay attention to it, and you're going to be like, wow, like mind blown. Is the way we interact is we tell each other stories. So I will tell you a story, you'll respond with your own story. It's been happening on this podcast already. Yeah, absolutely. And the way we judge each other's intelligence and whether we've been heard is by the quality and relevance of the stories that come back to each other. So if you go and meet somebody for the first time and somebody asks you, oh, you know, talk to somebody for 15 minutes, you know, was, you know, was Carl, you know, um, intelligent, you will have an idea of that, which will largely be based on the quality of Carl's stories. Sure. So this is, this is how we communicate and judge yeah. each other. Yeah. And, and, and it lets you know that it hurts. So like, I've just told a story. If you tell one back, I'll be like, Oh, this is this is great. Simon heard me. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And it, it's interesting there. You said about the, the the test of the story. I know you know AI is a big thing at the moment as we record yeah. this. And yeah, I think you know all the AI that's about at the moment is great for research. It's great for creating the basics of content. But you still need that third dimension of insights and opinions mm -hmm. and perceptions because yeah. that's that's what we add to the story isn't it you know it's it it's is. always our opinion it's always our insight to that yes abs absolutely yeah and the ai like um you know on one hand i find it exciting extremely exciting yeah in fact i i use chat gpt to help me on the the blog post that i, I wrote to, yeah. today um a bit which i say in my blog i'm like by the way I've researched and verified this but here's what chat gpt had to, had to say about this <laughs> yeah this, this point um but it also, you know, it, it scares me a, a lot, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, what it could become. And, you know, there's this very uh, well-publicized survey that was done, I think, in 2021 of AI experts, like engineers, people that work in the field. And um, there was like 730 or 40 of them that responded to all these different questions. And one of the questions was, you know, what's the probability that humanity will suffer an extinction event due to our inability to control AI. And the median answer was 10%, meaning half of them 
more, half or more th thought, think that there's a greater than 10% chance they're going to have some sort of Skynet situation, like Skynet yeah, being yeah. the AI from the movie, the, the Terminator movie. Terminator, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's pretty, you know, that's yeah. that's a pretty that's scary worrying. prediction yeah. by people that are in the know, right? Yeah, 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 yeah that is definitely worrying. Uh, so the 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 book that uh, I mentioned, The Uncertainty Solution, is is that yeah. a book that's already out? Is that a book that's coming out? Just, just tell the listeners how we can... Um, learn more about you and and, yeah. and the books or book that you've sure. you've got that's coming out. Yeah, sure. Um, it came out on May second, and you know it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, bookstores, you know, all over the place. Ebook, audiobook, hard hardback. Oh, books, okay. So. Tick the yeah, box so, of audio then. That's good. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, people always ask they're like, "Did you read the book?" And I'm like, uh, "I did not. I'm not a professional narrator." Um, yeah. But the, the, the gentleman who narrated it did a, a fantastic job. And what's interesting is he usually narrates fiction. And most of his fiction, he narrates under a pen name because he, he narrates a lot of uh, romance and erotica. <laughs> oh, okay. Mm, okay. <laughs> but yeah, he's, you know, he, he, he narrated my, uh, you know, investment we're, focus. We're, we're, we're all going to rush out there, John, now, just to see yeah. how, how he reads the book. Because if it sounds yeah, exciting yeah. and erotic, then yeah, that's definitely us. Yeah, you'll have to uh, dig a bit to find his uh, his uh, romantic and uh, erotica books. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he, he's, he's great. I, I love, uh, you know, I, I always have an audio book going. Um, but yeah, the book's about mental models. Um, really, the, the, it's called the Uncertainty Solution. So, it, you know, in it, I, I discuss research and different things related to, you know, how to why, why do we dislike uncertainty as humans? How our quest to resolve uncertainty, our quest for certainty, how that is a a primary human motive that underpins a lot of human behavior. What yeah. we usually do in the face of uncertainty, which is usually not helpful or often counterproductive, what we should do instead, but then the book, um, you know, really what I share is these 35 mental models. And in the face of uncertainty, what's best to do, whether it's in real life or in investing, yeah. is is usually not to try to resolve the uncertainty if it's things, you know, dealing with what's going to happen in the future. But it's instead to fall back on things that you know are true, that, you know, have that are actually true things uh, things that you can control that will help you make decisions. So for instance, mm. that storytelling um, bias is is one, right? So yeah. to, to fall back on, to think about, you know, when you're being, you know, uh, swayed by a story, you know, versus not, but I have all sorts of other things. And, you know, I'm going to, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll list out just a, a few of them, which may not make people want to run out and buy the book, except for, I will tell you, I do uh, write about it in, you know, largely non-technical entertaining matters. But, okay. you know, I talk about, you know, coincidences and causation and correlation and the incredibly important need to understand the difference between things that follow, follow like a bell curve, which relate to expectations yeah. and things that follow more of a power law distribution where you get what's known as wild randomness, which is really how the investment market works. So, you know, the industry talks in terms of the bell curve, you know, things like means and medians and standard deviations and and, and all that. Um, it has all these statistics based on that. But really, it, it, you know, it, it, the, the investment markets don't follow a bell curve. It, it just doesn't. Uh, you know, it's really a power law distribution. And just understanding that difference can really, you know, uh, lead you to make better decisions in the face of uncertainty and to expect the world to be differently different than how you know we as humans you know 
um, appreciate it. But, you know, I also talk about, about trends. I talk about skill versus luck in investing, yeah, yeah. the fallibility of expert predictions of the future, um, you know, market cycles, you know, what to expect from market cycles. So, you know, all sorts of um, different uh, mental models and, and those sorts of yeah, categories. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah. And we've, you, you've mentioned there several times and, and sounds like a great book. So uh, yeah, you know, it's definitely going to be one that's on, on my shelf behind me, but you've mentioned the word decision quite a lot, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. our life is made up of decisions, uh, good ones, bad ones, what we learn from, from all of them. If you were to give the listeners a, a tip of, uh, or some kind of advice on making decisions, I'm not just talking about wealth management. It, you know, is there anything that you've seen as a common mm -hmm. trend that will help people yeah. make better decisions? Yeah. Um, you, you know, I think a big thing that, that helps to make better decisions is to look at your prior decisions in, you know, with a spotlight on them. Yep. And, and a helpful way to do this is to do a decision journal. So when you have a decision to make is actually have a journal, you know, whether it's electronic or actually something that you keep around and write down what your decision is and then periodically go back and revisit your, your decisions. And I'll tell you years and years ago, we, you know, as an investment firm, we started looking at, um, you know, you know, periodically we would, you know, have an investment manager that we would, you know, fire and we would hire another one. Um, you know, we, we largely index now we look for outperformance and like, you know, private equity and venture capital. But, you know, earlier in our company, you know, we were, you know, we, we, we did a lot more active managers. So we, we would fire an active manager and we'd hire another one or, you know, fire an active manager and go to an index. But we started keeping track of that. And then we'd go back and revisit and we'd say, okay, we, we fired fund X and we hired fund Y. Was yeah. that a good decision? And what we started to see was, you know, usually it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. usually, usually we should have just, you know, we should have yeah. wrote out the, the underperformance and it really had a big effect on how we, you know, invested our clients or what sort of advice we gave by realizing that the decisions we were making, you know, didn't have that great of a batting average. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And I think listeners, that's, that's an incredible lesson to learn because how many of us make a decision? I think, you know, I'm guilty of this as well. When I make a decision, I usually make it against my plans. Does it help me achieve my plans? Does it get me closer? Does it get me mm -hmm. further away? Yeah. But I very rarely look at my past decisions because I, as far as I'm concerned, the plan, the decision now is about making a decision for the future. But yeah, yeah. looking at my batting average of decisions, I think would be really, really important. And yeah, yeah. a decision journal, great, great tip. I want to come to the final question then, John, if, if that's okay. Yeah. If you were to use your next um, payout from the business for more time that you having it, uh, and let's say, yeah, let's, let's, next one's going to be $2,000, let's say, mm -hmm. what would you really want to dream of spending that money on? Oh my gosh, that, that's such a hard question because I had a hard time coming up with what I'd spend a thousand dollars on. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's interesting. My, my next book is uh, uh, draft titled. I found out that whatever you think your title is, your, your, your publisher doesn't like it and you have to, you have to find a new one. <laughs> yep. And I've, I've learned that from a lot of people, but my next book is, is, is titled right now, how to be wealthy. 
And it's not yeah. how to get wealthy, but once you're wealthy, how, how do you do it well? How do you have happiness, purpose, not, not ruin your kids? How do you make a positive impact in the world? How do you go on a good quest, right? And um, it's interesting, and it's part of doing all that you know, research into the, this book, and I, I wrote an article in Forbes about this. You know, people often say, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, but it can if it's used correctly. And, and the number one piece of advice, and you've probably heard this, is if you use your money to buy experiences, especially experiences with other people, that's the thing that, that really leads, you know, to happiness. And, um, you know, I was thinking when I picked my expensive coffee maker, you know, people had only ever picked things that that were material things, you know, like somebody got like a Vitamix blender and, you know, this yeah, and that. Yeah, sure. we, we read that like one of our most recent people actually used hers to have the firm buy her tickets to go see Beyonce with some friends. And I'm like, wow, now that, well, what a great experience that yeah. likely will be. I mean, the queen, she's amazing, you know, yeah. and you go with friends. So if, if I had, okay, a $2,000 payout, um, instead of getting a thing, I would have the firm buy me an experience. Good with advice. Friends or, friends, or, friends or family. Yeah. Yeah. And our, our memories are something you know, that majority of us, because some of us obviously are unfortunate to lose our memories in later life. But for mm -hmm. me, you know, my memories, I'm very good at exercising the cassette deck that Rob, Tony Robbins once in a course many, many years ago said, you know, you've got to be able to access your memories and I can go way, way back with memories. They, they are so special and memories come from the experiences, don't they? So uh, yeah, memories to share. So yeah, I love that. That's a great answer. Well done. Thank you Thanks. for being a great guest. You've shared so much. I've written so much down on my my notes here. I know listeners, mm -hmm. you have taken great value as well from today and some some really good insights. Yeah, and thank you so much for giving up your time. And also, listeners, you know, John has rescheduled this uh, because I hit traffic early on today. So I want to say a special thank you yeah, for, no for rescheduling as well. Really do appreciate it. Well, and if I could just give a shout out to my uh, uh, my website that has information both Please, on my yeah. book and you can find my my blog in the upper menu. There's a little uh, iFod uh, little menu you can get to my blog. We'd yep. love to have new subscribers. But my my website is johnmjennings.com. J o h n m is in Michael Jennings.com. Johnmjennings.com. So thanks. Perfect. Yep. Go have a look at that. Check out the the blog. Uh, the IFOD blog, I like that. That's uh, so much better. IFOD, which sounded very official. Yeah, um, so check that out. But also, go and get the book. You know, the uncertainty solution. You know, if I think there's not just going to be wealth management tips in there. I think there's going to be lots of life lessons in there, and so much of it's transferable uh, information yeah. as well. Yeah, a lot of my pre-readers have said, you, you know, that there's an investment slant to this book, but it's not really an investment book. It's yeah. really about how to make better decisions in, in the face of, you know, un uncertainty and view the, the world uh, more the way it really is versus, uh, you know, maybe how we kid ourselves it might be. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go, listeners. All you've got to do now is do us the justice of the time that John's given today by taking action on some of the things that we've talked about. Cool. Of course, leave a review and make sure you subscribe to the podcast to make sure you're getting other episodes um, straight to your inbox as, as well. So thank you very much again, John. You've been an absolute pleasure to have as a guest. I said, right, listeners, you're going to get some different value. We've definitely had that. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'll catch you right. on the next podcast, everybody. Bye for now. Right. Thanks, Simon. 
Thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you. Thank you.